I'm scrum beyond IT. So if you, if, if you, you work with IT organizations, most people are actually starting to be like, you, you, it's, it's very difficult to find somebody in IT who's not familiar, like they haven't heard Scrum or Agile. Everybody knows it's from this vein of business. So sure. the, 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 the obstacles you meet there are, okay, so it works in software, fine, but it can't work in my company. Yeah. My company's a, a silver unicorn that poops rainbows. And, or, or it can't work in my, in my uh, vein of IT. So it, I'm sure it can work in app development, but you know, we're still yeah. doing mainframe legacy systems. It can't work there, right? You always meet those two objections. Yep. It can't work here or it can't work in, in my domain or whatever you want to call it. When you go outside of IT, that is magnified a thousand times. Welcome Avi Schneier to the EBFC show. So glad to have you here. Please, Avi, tell the audience. Yeah, I, I, it's I all good, man. Try, You're excited. Again. I know you want to talk. I love the excitement. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm keeping that in. <laughs> Welcome to the EBFC show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Thank you, LCI. Now to the show. Thank you, Felipe. Sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, my name is Avi. I am a principal consultant with Scrum Inc. Uh, started in the business uh, Many, many moons ago, as they say, essentially as Dr. Sutherland's protege, uh, used to live in the public class world with him. Uh, you know, it's really assisting in learning, learning Scrum from a very academic perspective, right? I, I would say if my career started by literally being a parrot, a parrot of whatever Dr. Sutherland said. And about eight, eight or nine months into it, he, he turned to me one day because I was after I taught the class and he's like, he's like, you, you got to get out of here. And I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm like, what? And he's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, you know now what you're supposed to know in order to be able to do it, but now you have to go do it. And so wow. he essentially threw me out into the cold. No, it's just what boss. He pushed you out of the nest. Boom. He did. He, put, he, did. he pushed me out of the nest. He yeah. really did. So one of the things I did in those early days because I came, my background is my background is very varied, but part of it is sales. So in those days, I also helped to cultivate the accounts and, and people we met in class into larger engagements. And so I cultivated my first engagement with a marketing, uh, digital marketing company called Ignition One. And he basically said, okay, he goes, you cultivated that relationship, now go scrum the client. Mm. And, and I went down there, it's a great company, it's still around, they've got a branch in Japan, they're down located in Atlanta, Georgia, really good company, awesome people, great product. And uh, we went down there and we, 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 we scrummed the hell out of them. We had a great time. It was a, it was a tremendous success. And that was when uh, my career track changed from being just somebody who understood Scrum academically and could explain it to people to actually going out and doing it in the field. So one of the reasons why I was chosen as a trainer was because before all of this, I was a school teacher for, for 14 years, a science, a science educator. Man, respect. So was, yeah, respect. Yeah. So it, it was funny because I, I always tease Dr. Sutherland. I'm like, you know, you gave me the easiest teaching job I ever had. I don't have to tell anybody to sit down, shut up, take your hat off, where's your calculator, 
none of this stuff, right? Uh, it's just, how old were your students when you were teaching those 14 oh, years? I, I taught high school. I taught okay. high school. So ages 14 to 18, you know, tra like traditionally speaking. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that's how I got started from education into, into education of this and then now implementation and consultation. So, you know, after, after Ignition One, I went on to work with a lot of other companies. And then eventually I got tapped to work with the biggest companies my, co my company deals with. So I work, now I only work with really, and I've worked with startups, don't get me wrong, Felipe. I've worked with start, sure. I've worked with 10 people in one team, right? But most of my clients, if not all of them right now, are major industrials, Fortune, Fortune 500, Fortune, Fortune 200 even. Right? Wow. We're talking really big companies yes. that are trying to do this. And when, when people ask me, how, to, how did you make that switch? I always tell them the same thing. Apparently, a bad attitude and a Brooklyn accent goes a long way <laughs> for getting leadership to listen to you. It certainly, yeah. it, certainly isn't this, it certainly isn't my Mona Lisa smile, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Oh no! When you when I first met you, it was like a couple of weeks ago. I heard your voice, and right away, I was like, "Ooh, this is, I like this accent. I want to hear more." <laughs> this is something about how different it is. You, you just you just made me remember a really funny story. You just made me remember a really yeah. funny story. So I went down to um, uh, we got we got hooked up with 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 a, a guy who was running a department in one of, in one of the largest banks in Australia. Okay, one of the big one of the big three, and. Oh. Uh, he came all the way to America to learn Scrum at Scale from us. And it turns out that I was teaching that class, not Dr. Sutherland. I'm one of the, so in the beginning, it was only Dr. Sutherland and me teaching that class. That was it. And then there was yeah. one other person who then left. And then it was just me and him. And then I started teaching him by myself, right? And this guy came all the way from Australia to learn because I had talked to him on the phone. He's like, I'm coming. I mean, imagine somebody flying. Yeah. It's not just across the world this way. It's across the world this way too, right? You know, it's like, yeah. it's like really across the up, world. Up and over. Yeah. And he came to class. We had, a, we had a great time. He learned a tremendous amount. And he's like, he's like I'm going to bring you to Oz. He was American, by the way. He was not, okay. not He's like, I'm going to bring you to Oz. He goes, I don't, know, I don't know how, when, how long it's going to take, how much it's going to cost. We're going to do this. It took six months of planning and this and that. And we finally, I finally went down to Australia to the bank and helped him fix a ton of problems. I actually went back twice. It was a really, it was a, was a long, it was a long engagement. We did a lot of, a lot of stuff together. But the reason for the story is the funniest thing was, so one day I'm doing class down there, right? Yeah. And I'm teaching this class and there are these two women in the front row and they're just like, smi like smiling ear to ear. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I, I'm doing amazing. This is a great training class. They're really, they're getting it. They love it, blah, blah, blah. So I go over there and I'm like, and I said, oh, so are you really getting it? Are you really understanding it? Are you having, you know, you having a time? And they're both like, they're both like, oh no, what we really love is your accent. It's, it's, it's like taking a scrum class from a guy straight out of Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. that's, I'm like, that's what you're taking out of this? Yeah. 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 American movies have made it all around the planet for sure. Yeah. It was really, really yeah. funny. Really funny. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to put a link for people so they can contact you to to record their voicemail messages. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, so the uh, the Scrum at Scale class that he went into that's something a little different and unique. I think you know people listening to the show they've probably if you've listened to even one episode you've heard the word Scrum at least a hundred times. Mm -hmm. So, like, could you just tell people what is Scrum at Scale that that might not know what it is? Yeah. So a lot of people are familiar with the scrum guide, right? You know, Dr. Sutherland 
you know, he he put that guide out with with his with his former business partner Ken Schwaber, and they put it out in 1995, like for free. I mean, it literally, yeah, this it's still free today. Yep. It's still free today. They have never. I always tease. I always tease Dr. Sutherland. I say, I say, how come you didn't put a trademark on this? You didn't put a copyright. I'm like, if you got a nickel for everything made with Scrum, I always say you you could have been another Silicon Valley, you know, cajillionaire. You'd be you'd have been <laughs> hanging out with Bill Gates and whatever. Yeah. And and he comes back and and you know a lot. A lot of people don't don't know Dr. Sutherland well, and that's because they they judge him based on certain things instead of actually talking to him. Because he's actually like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And he says, he always says to me, he goes, Avi, I, I didn't, we didn't invent Scrum for that reason. Mm. We we were trying to figure out how to make people, how to help people make better stuff faster and have a good time doing it. He always qualifies that. Have a good time doing it. Yeah. A lot of people think that Scrum is all about, you know, it's just about delivering fast, fast, fast. It's not. It's not. It's it's a, if you think about it, right? Because it came out in like '95, right? And here we are, yeah. in right? It's essentially a 25-year experiment into how human beings can work better together. That's actually yeah. what it is. So when he and Ken put it out, it was for free. They were just trying to figure out how can we help people do something better the right way when it obviously was back in software it was only software back then right yep. so that's what they were looking at the field of software engineering and 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 in that sense you know it's funny like i i, I kind of think dr sutherland's one of the greatest um philanthropists we know like everybody knows everybody knows bill and melinda gates right they all yep. know the bill and melinda gates foundation yeah yeah but who did bill gates give a dime or a dollar to before he had microsoft mm-hmm. uh see now you don't know. Right? Don't know. But Dr. Sutherland has been giving this away since the start. And how many people do we know? If you go on LinkedIn or, or Glassdoor, anyway, there are literally hundreds of thousands of scrum jobs out there. Yeah. All these people received, it was all for free. All free. Doc, didn't, Doc doesn't care. He wants you to make good stuff for people, solve problems faster, better solutions. And he wants the people who are doing this to be happy. So what is Scrum at scale, right? Yeah. The Scrum guide is how to do this for one team. And in that sense, it's really a very focused and limited document. It's very short. Matter of fact, they're coming out with a new iteration, hopefully in the next few months, because it's a living document. See, there's another difference between the Scrum guide and like other things you see, right? It's not, you know, I'm, I'm from a, I'm from, I'm from the Jewish tradition, right? So uh, unlike the greatest document my people made that was written in stone, <laughs> this one, this one's been pretty flexible over the years. Yeah. They've been able to change it, right? So every couple of years they change it and they update it with learnings or findings from the field. But still, it's about one team. One team. So obviously we need to do this at scale and there are many different scaling frameworks available. Scrum at scale is the version of how do you scale Scrum using Scrum. So a lot of other companies have other scaling frameworks. We're not here to talk about them. No, we don't care about, we're biased. You and I are extremely biased. We both love Scrum. Yeah. And I I, I love spending time with Jeff too. Just probably, maybe not as much as you do. You're you're spoiled that way. You get more. I am spoiled that way. So the idea behind Scrum at scale guide. So the idea behind Scrum at scale was born in Jeff's head from his earliest practices up until inventing Scrum and then through however he implemented it at a scaled version in the 11 companies that he worked in. And this has been for literally, you know, tens of years. So the codification of Scrum at scale though did not happen until much, much, much later.
much, much, much later. He sat down with another employee who's not with us anymore by the name of Alex Brown and another guy who works in our company still, Patrick Roach. And they tried to help, they tried to help Doc synthesize all of his ideas into a distilled framework. And so they, and so that's when Scrum at Scale really started to get codified. Then it's funny we mentioned, the, it's funny we mentioned the bank in Australia, right? Yeah. So the original Scrum at Scale diagram looks very different. It was actually two concentric loops. That's what it looked like when I joined the company. Okay. Then I meet this guy, Ian, I go down to Australia, I go in there, fix their implementation. And when I came back, I said, doc, we have to change the diagram. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, it's the, I'm like, the loops are wrong because there's one inside the other. We need to separate them. We need to make it the two rings with the intersection in the middle. Yeah. But that, that specific change happened after the implementation of, of scrum at scale, the way he had taught me, helped me to envision it on site. And then we, we're scrum. We iterated. Yeah, you and did. that's how the, the diagram changed. And then I said to my, you know, I said, I said, you know, he had been thinking about it for a long time. He said, you know, maybe we should make a scrum at scale guide. And then after I said, we changed the diagram, he's like, you know what, Avi, let's sit down and do this. And so he started it and, and uh, myself and, and Jessica Larson and Alex Sutherland, his grandson, and Patrick also helped. We, we helped to edit the very first one. And then, you know, and so I'm an editor and, and, and a contributing author of, of the of Scrum and Scale Guide as well. So I have this stuff in there, for me, especially the most recent one. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll say this publicly. I'll say this publicly. Say it. When, 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 we, when, when Jeff said, okay, let's make a Scrum at Scale Guide, I had a certain idea behind it, which I will readily admit was mine and failed. <laughs> what is it? The Scrum Guide is owned by Jeff and Ken jointly, right? Yeah. No changes can be made unless the two of them agree. And I would see the, the, I would see the request for changes. So one thing that they did that Jeff and Ken had the insight of doing was to open it up to the peanut gallery, as we say in Brooklyn. Basically, anybody can comment and write in a request, hey, I think this should change. And year after year, I would see even the most popular request for alteration get rejected. Mm. Now at the time I had never spoken to Ken Schwaber, so I ne could never understand it. Now I have spoken to Ken Schwaber many times and I completely understand why they rejected all those changes. And he was right. Let me just say that. Yeah. He's right. Jeff and him were like, These, this should be in there. And I was always hanging up like, no, it should be. And then I was wrong. They were right. What so did you want in like, there? What did you want in there, Avi? Velocity? What did you uh, want? No, no, no. Guess. I, I really wanted, I really wanted backlog refinement as an event. Okay. And I really don't like the phrase development team because um, my personal journey is Scrum outside of software. And so when you're working with a marketing group, yeah, they don't see themselves as developers, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm and, in construction. I'm. I feel the same way. I changed right. the, that phrasing a little bit. Project team makes more sense for us. But the, Look, yeah, a, I could see. A rose, a rose by any other name smells as sweet. Absolutely. My, my point is that the language of the guide, and they're doing this in the newest iteration. Let me not say that they aren't. The, my idea is that the language of, a of the guide, if it's, this is, this is the canon, this is the, you know, this is the canon, this is the canonical, yeah. right? the language should be as inclusive as possible. It should, it should call people in, not, pe not make people feel excluded. And when you use the phrase developer and development team, you're already, you're already kind of pigeonholing it towards software. 
So there were a lot of requests to change that to delivery team. They didn't do it. And that's okay. That's up to them. Uh, People can make the suggestion. That wasn't my suggestion. That was there. That was, that was the, the interweb or whoever you want to call it. Right. The peanut gallery. There you go. So when, so when Jeff, when Jeff said, Avi, let's go make the scrum and scale guide. I said, you know what? I said, instead of the way you did it with Ken, I said, let's do it where, because we were opening up the scrum and scale training program. I said, mm-hmm. let's make it so that the other trainers that join us can have input into the guide and change it. Oh. And in the beginning, it went really well because we came out with the first iteration and we don't, you know, we have our, our vision, but sure. everyone else has a different vision. So it became wider. Unfortunately, too many cooks do spoil the broth. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. What do we learn about team size, Avi? Yeah. So when the, How big so, does it yeah. get? So yeah, when, the team size, when the team size got to 82, <laughs> we had 82 scrum and scale trainers and everybody was stick, sticking their fingers in, in our cake, so to speak, all of a sudden it didn't taste so good. And I looked at the last iteration and I was like, this has gone way off the rails and we got to rein it in. Now, the newest version is exactly that. I worked very closely with Jeff, very, very, I mean, we were on, I was, I was working in Israel, believe it or not. I was doing a transformation in Israel. And I was on the phone with him in the middle of the night because we had to get this. We had to rein it in. We had to get it right. We had to put it back towards what the original was. And we worked very closely together with uh, another person who's on our team now, Elizabeth Frazier. And we helped to set it back in the original direction where it was intended. And now I think the newest version is actually way more readable, much cleaner, much more inclusive, for, for people who are not software oriented to read it and understand, okay, so that's what this, that's what these terms mean. That's what I could do. Because the, the notion of it is that what's the minimum amount of stuff I have to know in order to start doing this, right? Right. So we, we are coming out with something more specific. And Jeff and I started the first iterations of this as well, the Scrum at Scale field guide. So similar to what we have in, in the book selection, right? And this will be an implementation handbook. And this one is where I want everybody to contribute. Yeah. I realized, I realized the guide should really stay with, with, with Jeff and everything he thinks. And then the implementation, the, the handbook, we really want everybody to, 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 to have input because I haven't done it in construction yet. Felipe. So if we want to put in, if we want to put in a section that says, Here's how you do this in construction. Then I need someone like you to call us up and say, hey, I could help write that part. Yeah, here, my hand's up. Uh, Boom, done. I, I knew it would yeah. be. And so the handbook that'll be coming out hopefully by the end of the year, hope, and, and I may actually, because I'm kind of in charge of the release of it, I may actually release it in, in iterative parts because, hey, okay. we're Scrum. Why yeah. not release it? I should say increments rather than iterations, right? Why not release it incrementally? Sure. We may actually put out increments one at a time, and I'm actually I'm actually finishing the edits on the very first increment right now, and I may just start put that up for for commentary into the into the trainers group first before yeah. we you know, before it goes of course. before it goes live. I'm sure they'll they'll light they'll light you up, as they <laughs> say, <laughs> they will light you up. Let the flame wars begin. Yeah, but it it is great. Uh, you know, I met you at the Scrum at Scale course. Uh, I think Jeff brought you in. And you, you got to share some stories. So for people scaling, I mean, it is, uh, I've read the Scrum Scale Guide before that. It was pre-reading for the course and it is, it does read easier. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I work in a large corporation. 
So in my, my corporate uh, indoctrinated self, it makes total sense. Thank you. I appreciate that. We yeah. really worked very hard. And a lot of that, I'll give, I'll give credit where it's due. A lot of that actually was Elizabeth saying some of this language is, is, is a barrier for people who either aren't software oriented or, or actually what the real barrier was, was people who don't know Scrum. And this is a very common thing is we will have people come into the Scrum at scale class because of their position in the company knowing, hey, I don't know what Scrum is, but I got a hundred teams. So yeah. they think, hey, I should take Scrum at scale. And they don't know anything about Scrum. So we tried to make the guide readable, but with an understanding that, listen, before you pick this up, you need to understand Scrum first. Yeah. And the, you know, for those of you that don't know how long these guides are, they're both magically 19 pages long. <laughs> so, you know, spend, uh, spend as much time as you would at a coffee shop and digest it, at least a good read. And there's, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, Scrum Inc. Let's plug Scrum Inc.'s uh, YouTube page. There's some good videos out there that, that show what Scrum is, what good Scrum looks like. Yeah. And also the, there's a lot of case studies. A, a lot of people still like case studies for some reason, Avi. I'm not a huge fan of case studies. I've got case studies myself, but I'm more of a fan of let's, let's get dirty with it. Let's get down and in. I'll, I'll tell you where, I'll tell you where that comes from. I'll tell you where that comes from. And, and I'm probably one of the few people in the business that probably meets that more than most only because I'm scrum beyond it. So if you, if, if you, you work with it organizations, most people are actually starting to be like you, you it's, it's very difficult to find somebody in it. Who's not familiar. Like they haven't heard scrum or agile. Everybody knows it's from this vein of business. So sure. the, 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 the obstacles you meet there are, okay, so it works in software, fine, but it can't work in my company. Yeah. My company's a, a silver unicorn that poops rainbows and, or, <laughs> or it can't work in my, in my uh, vein of IT. So it, I'm sure it can work in app development, but you know, we're still yeah. doing mainframe legacy systems. It can't work there, right? You always meet those two objections. Yep. It can't work here or it can't work in, in my domain or whatever you want to call it. When you go outside of IT, that is magnified a thousand times. Yep. Because, because unless, they, unless they hear that somebody else has done it first, there's no possible way for them to even believe it can work for them. And so the reason why the case study library and Scrum at Scale has a huge case study library, we do too, but a lot of what you're seeing online are the, in, so one of the things that we made different for becoming a Scrum at Scale trainer versus becoming a trainer of X system was you actually have to do it for real. Yeah. A lot of people out there training Scrum, you have no idea if they've actually done it or not. And it'd be you very can't hard. Tell. You can't tell. You can't tell. Yeah, you can't tell. I know. There's no requirement. There's no requirement for it. You just have to be a good trainer, which is okay. But to be a Scrum at scale trainer, you have to have done this for real in the wild at scale. Ooh. And so part of your requirement is to film a case study of what you did. So that's why we have that big library. And there's even more coming out that are in the can that just haven't been published yet all over. And, and the importance of this fleet is for us to be able to put out different size companies, right? Mm -hmm. Cause some people say, Oh sure. It works for two teams. It can't work for 20. It can't yeah. work at 3000. Well, it's Amazon's got over 3000. What are you talking about? Yeah. Amazon's not run by magic fairies. It's run by intelligent people like you and me and the people that we work with. Right. And they'll say, it's not going to work in my size company. So you have to have case studies of different size. Or they'll say it can't work in, in a company like mine. 
So yeah. for example, if I'm working with, if I'm working with an auto manufacturer, I need a case study from a different auto manufacturer. It doesn't work if I have a case study from, from, from some, from, from a consumer packaged goods company that, that can't work, even though it's still it, what are you talking about? And then it goes to domain knowledge. So a lot of people have trouble translating what was done from software into someplace else without any understanding that Scrum actually is born from a hardware. All of the papers, all of the books, everything that gave rise to Scrum and Agile had nothing to do with software. The Twitter production system, nothing to do with software. That's what gave rise to Lean. And the book that gave us the name Agile, which was held up by Mike Beadle at, at the famous meeting at Snowbird when the Agile Manifesto was created, was about lean manufacturers going beyond Right. And when they, when agile manufacturers go beyond lean manufacturers by inviting the customer in. So it was all a discussion around hardware manufacturing, nothing to do with software. Dr. Sutherland's genius, by the way, in my opinion, was being able to see those things, see the benefits of lean manufacturing and bring it into knowledge work. That's what he did. And he, and he looked of course at the paper by Takeuchi Nonaka and all of the companies in those papers, all hardware companies, yeah. All what they were doing is hard. And he put that into knowledge work. That's what the genius was. So when people can't make that, when people can't bridge that gap, it's because they can't make that same jump back. Mm-hmm. We have advised large automobile manufacturers around the world. We have advised large train brake manufacturers around the world, other hardware manufacturers, uh, outlet, even little ones like you would think of outlet. You could look this up if you want to Google a great product made with scrum. Outlet, it's this little bracelet that you put on the, the ankle of a baby's leg that connects to a pad, a sensor underneath them that detects whether or not they stop breathing and it alerts wow. the parents so they can come in and avoid sudden infant death syndrome, you know, SIDS, which is a, a horrible problem. Yeah. Product is made with Scrum. Those guys came to a public class, uh, Dr. Sutherland and I did like four years ago. And then they took off on their own and they did it. And they're awesome. They're awesome. Yeah. So, but a lot of people can't make the jump. They can't make the jump to marketing, to sales, to mm. procurement, but these are all things that we have now successfully scrummed. So we have to put the case studies out because the bottom line is, unless you can speak to that person in their language and in their frame of reference, it becomes very hard to bring them along on the journey because they're already throwing up all these blockers, yeah. right? They're throwing up their own impediments. You have to be able to tear them down. Yes, it works in a company of your size. Yes, it works in companies just like yours. And yes, it works in your domain. And here are all the examples how. So your only possible excuse is you just don't want to do it. Yeah, which and is fine. Like you don't, I always tell people, you don't have to be awesome. You can just get by. I mean, you've gotten by this far. That's what, uh, you know, somebody asked me, was doing a, like a high level scrum class in construction this week. And, and somebody said like, why did you even do it? And I said, you know, for me personally, I couldn't keep up anymore. I couldn't keep up with the the demands of what the job was and what it would take to be successful. And I needed something else. My organization skills were lacking to put any other way. Like it, it wasn't, I wasn't a bad employee. I wasn't close to being fired or anything. But I just couldn't keep up with what the customer needed. And it wasn't until I started using the Scrum framework that I was able to to keep up and then 
make the customer hire more people to keep up with me afterwards, which right. was, it was awesome. And th this is a very common occurrence, right? The grassroots effort that then, you know, and this is, if you think about it, right. And, and I write this in the, this, by the way, is, this is now part of the new handbook that's coming out, right. Is most of the original scrum transformations, right. The original like scrum and scale transformations all started this way. One person comes in as a champion, converts one team over that team does great. Yeah. Management notices and says, what are you doing? Other teams notice because you're getting all the kudos and they're like, Hey, I want, I want to get a piece of that too. Yeah. And then you have this grassroots effort of, of what, what some people call a bottom up transformation. I, I don't like that phrase cause I'm not into the levels business. Yeah, I you're prefer, not a hierarchy guy. I know. No, I'm not a hierarchy guy. I, I really prefer the idea of how about, how about we use the phrase team inspired. Yeah. It's a team inspired transformation. Okay. What we find today is, so those transformations have limitations because until you get the executives to be behind it, a team inspired transformation is always doomed to fail. The minute it upsets the wrong manager, then, then it's over because they'll squash it. Right. Yeah. More often than not today, we're finding, let's call them executive inspired transformation. Some people say top down. I'm not using that executive inspired transformations mm -hmm. where, where I have literally had, a CEO of a company call me up, say, Hey, I read this book and like the, the yellow book and you're in it. How'd you do this? Right. Yeah. Or people would have read the red book, the original book by, by, by Dr. Sutherland and JJ scrum yard doing twice the work in half the time. So that book was on like, it was in Philippe. I used to find it in the weirdest places. We, I once found it on, it was a book, an audio book on a flight I was on. I was like, what? Oh, wow. like, how'd this get here? <laughs> And people like an executive would be listening to this book on, on a plane ride. Yeah. Get off the plane and literally call us up or email us immediately. I don't know who you people are, but you got to come in and speak to us. Yeah. So you, you get the ear of one executive that says, I want to do this. And so we have this notion of the executive inspired transformation. This is what we're dealing with more often than not, because again, scrum has now progressed to the point where it's, it's more common. Agile is, is a buzzword. You know, every other article in the HBR is about Agile. Yeah. Yeah, you guys made the, the cover of HBR, I think it was a year ago. Yeah. Jeff was on there again with, uh, I saw it, I was in Nebraska, and I was walking by the book the bookstore on my way to the airport, and I was like, whoa, I know that guy. Look at that. It's on the front, and they had it, like, prominently in, in the beginning. Yeah. That is, was it cool. is it bad if I say I'm, I'm surprised they have the HBR in Nebraska? No kidding. <laughs> No, I mean, that's where... Uh, we love you, Nebraska. You're full of very smart people. There's a lot of billionaires in Nebraska, Avi. Of course. That's probably why it was there. Exactly. Exactly. We love you, Nebraska. You're the best. Keep growing that corn. We appreciate it. Yeah, I think that's the interesting part. You know, a lot of the other frameworks, I, I've seen diagrams, you know, there's some competition for different frameworks. And I can't think of one that shows the customer anywhere in it. Yeah. And that's the, something that's really different with Scrum. It puts the the client, the customer, front and center in the process. Yeah. Like you, like you were saying in that original Agile book for the manufacturers, bringing the clients in to see what we do, and that's been something really different. It's all about that, you know. Customer centric. I mean, it would be we would be we would be liars if we said because customer centricity is new, right? We'd be liars if we said that customer centricity yeah. has been around for a while, but organizations just because they know the words don't mean they're actually doing the practice, right? 
right. that's really what the that's what the problem is. The problem is that people don't know what know what customer centricity is. People don't know how to actually become customer centric. That's what that's where the, the disconnect is, right? And and you know it's like the major disconnect. I shouldn't say that. I would say one of the major disconnects that I see being done in most Scrum implementations that I come in to clean up, right, is mm -hmm. you have product owners that speak to internal customers and stakeholders, but for some reason, that is, becomes a layer in between them and the actual user. Mm -hmm. So it, it becomes a game of telephone where my job, in order to keep my job as a stakeholder and a program manager or whatever I am, I have to talk to customers, you never speak to them, and then I tell you what they said. Yeah. What the, what the hell is that? Product owners should be talking directly to customers and directly even to end users, the people that actually consume the products that they make. Otherwise you're relying on secondhand information and you might have very different questions than they have. So like uh, just another example, right? Outside of software, okay? okay. So in, the consume, in the consumer packaged goods industry, you know, people that make things that we eat. Yeah. It's very common that marketing teams go and do the research. They talk to the people that eat the food, that look at the packages and buy stuff. And then they go back and tell the innovative teams, hey, this is, this is what we need next. I'm not saying the marketing people are wrong, but often they are. If they weren't, you wouldn't find so many consumer packaged goods products that fail. No. And, we could, and everybody watching this, everybody watching this program could, could at least think of two or three products in the head array like oh yeah i remember when i ate that oh, that was terrible why'd they make that <laughs> right we all we thought like we, we literally ate like why did they make this why did you make that and what if you had had the people who make the stuff talk to the the same customers they might have asked very different questions that would have got very different responses that would have led to very different products you can google it yourselves campbell soup did this Campbell soup. So this is a consumer package of coming. Yeah. The problem I'm going to tell you, can I tell you, can I tell you the case study? Please. Yeah. Please so do. do you have any kids, Felipe? I do. He's 10. Okay, I'm great. 10 year old boy. When he was a little, when he was a little kid, and I mean a little kid, like four or five, three, four or five years old, what was his favorite snack cracker? Animal crackers. That's a sugar, that's sweet one. What about yeah. a savory one? What, what about? No. No, not, was he, so he didn't eat goldfish. Nope. He didn't, okay. he didn't like goldfish. He also doesn't like chocolate. So he is an oddball kid. All right. So your kid is, not, your kid's out, out of the discussion. Yeah, he's out of the discussion. We'll pick somebody else. Most kids, including mine, who's, who's, who's four yeah. years old, most kids in the United States, their number one snack cracker is goldfish. Is the number one selling cracker in their age demographic in the country. I don't know who the hell knows. Maybe the world the thing is these people are eating goldfish like nuts, right? <laughs> Yeah. I've seen a lot of kids eating them everywhere I go. Yeah. If I see little kids, even today, they're eating goldfish crackers, like at the airports, you know, when I used to fly back in the day. Right. It's perfect. It's hand side. It's got a little smiley face on it. Everyone knows, right? What yeah. happens though? The kid hits nine years old and the, and the consumption of goldfish straight to zero mm. because that's my baby cracker. Oh Yeah. So they, out, they don't really outgrow the taste. They still love the taste, but they outgrow it because, or maybe they do outgrow the taste, right? That's another fast, right? They might outgrow the taste or they outgrow the idea of that's my baby cracker. I'm grown up now. So the normal time it takes to um, develop a new snack at Campbell's Soup was about two years. 
they wanted to fix this problem of kids literally going from, I eat this cracker every day all the time to zero. Mm-hmm. They, this is the article they wrote themselves, you know, full it's disclosure, yeah. Yeah, full disclosure scrumming had nothing to do with this. This is a self-published case study by themselves. Why does it take so long? Separate groups doing the marketing, separate groups doing the innovation, separate groups doing the taste testing, separate groups then doing the marketing on the post-production side. Waterfall scheduling. Waterfall scheduling and silos. They said, screw it. They made cross-functional teams. They went to do it in an agile way. Nine months and they launched Goldfish Epic Crunch. You can look it up. It's a real product. It's still out there. It's still successful. Adult flavors, ranch, honey barbecue, Mm. nacho cheese. Not hungry, Avi. (laughs) <laughs> not, not just cheddar right yeah it's working on it man so the idea was the kids wanted an adult an adult flavored and an adult sounding cracker and parents wanted something that was still baked and not fried many of those corn chips today that we know that kids graduate to are fried yeah. and are much less healthy for you these are still baked so they were able to satisfy if you think about it the two customers Customer number one, the parent who buys it, and customer number two, the kid who eats it. And that's why they got a winning product because they brought Agile into food production. And yeah. we've helped other companies do the same, but Campbell Soup says so publicly, so you can, you can Google that. We see the same type of thing in, in the construction and even design industry too, uh, especially I've got a lot of design friends, architects and engineers, and someone on their team will have a good relationship with the client. And then that person has to try to translate what they heard in a meeting or in a phone call or in an email, which is the coldest form of communication second to, to just like contract documents. <laughs> I mean, an email, you could go back and forth, but, uh, not ideal. And then you see the people doing a lot of things and it's not, uh, they get it eventually in front of the customer years later. And it's like, that's not what I wanted. Not even close. You know, I, 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 when I talk about stuff like that in class, I always give this analogy. I always, I always say, who here has had an argument with a significant other over a text or a, or a tweet? And everybody raises their hand. I'm yeah. like, okay. So basically you're saying you have no ability to communicate what you want in 140 characters or less. And somehow you think a document like this is going to be somehow better. This is why they invented emojis. Yeah. Because literally half of the messages I type if I don't put the smiley face at the end, everybody thinks I'm a jerk. I mean, they're right, but yes. not as bad as they really think I'm a jerk. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I know. So yeah. We're just, human beings are just not Pulitzer, we're not all Pulitzer Prize winning authors. If we were, we'd all, we'd all be in a, different, <laughs> a different line of business. That's the truth. So in order, to, in order to really get to the heart of the matter, it's all about the conversation. It's all about the conversation. Right. I cannot look at a document and then I'm going to come up with a litany of questions that I'm going to send back to you. And it becomes this incredible long back. Of, why don't we just sit down and, I, and, and, and talk to each other? You know, like how many times have you had a back and forth text with somebody that got heated or went way off the rails that if you had literally just been on the phone for 60 seconds, it would have been totally fine. Oh, oh yeah. It used to happen more often until I realized that I'm not a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And then just call me or FaceTime me for please. That's it. That's it. It's like, that's what, uh, you know, for those that use Scrum, if you've gotten a chance to play planning poker, we teams discover in that dialogue, 
it's not the coming up with the number that's the powerful part. It's the hearing the differences of how people are seeing what the work is that is the powerful thing. And I've seen teams, you know, exponentially improve just because they have that rich conversation about what they think something takes and then getting much more clarity on what the work is. Right, right. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's, it's all about the conversation. It's all about the discussion. I, I, I don't know why we're, I don't know why we're losing it. And I, I think, you know, and again, I'm not trying to get too, too negative or philosophic here, but I think technology is part of that problem, right? You know, I think about, I think about my daughter's generation, right? My daughter, my daughter's 21. I think we're her generation. It, it seems to me that a lot of these people, they can't even, they, they just, they've lost the ability to actually have a conversation with each other. They can only, they can only text. Hmm. Which means, which means miscommunication is only going to happen more and more and more. And Scrum is the remedy for that. Face-to-face -face conversations, being agile is the remedy for that. Sitting down with each other and trying to understand what is it that you're trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. Okay, how is it that you think that your idea is going to achieve that? Because if you don't, you have to have both of those conversations because more often than not, right? You'll have the conversation, a product owner will ask a customer, what, the product owner will ask, what do you want? Right. But what do you want does not always achieve the goal that you're trying to do. It's just what you think will achieve that goal. Yeah. If you want to unlock the true potential of a team and the true potential of Scrum and an agile way of working, you have to be focused on what is the outcome. Why, why do you want me to do this? Okay. Now, what is the solution you think that's going to do that? Because you might, and often the customer may not even know. And that's even better because then the, then the team can innovate it. Mm-hmm. So you want a new way of getting from the first floor to the third floor that doesn't involve an escalator. All right, let's see what we can figure out. Yeah. And, and that's where the conversation can happen. If, if they, often they come in and they think this is the only possible solution to this problem. That constricts the team. And yes, they can still, we can still work that way. Yes, we can still make what you want. Right. But, if it, but if you don't come in and tell us what the objective of what you want us to make is, we may be making the wrong thing. Yeah, the big why. Exactly. We were working with the team and the, the client it was a different type of pool system, similar to Scrum. And the client had said, like, really subdued what, what we're building and what the out, outcome is. It's a, a healthcare client. And the team was getting hung up on, like, these tasks. And they were not thinking about you know, what, is, what are we trying to do? Like they're trying to create a space where they can treat patients today, even though it's going to take two years to get there. Mm -hmm. And so like the, the team needed just a little nudge, like, Hey, remember, we're asking you to do this faster because there are people today that need healthcare in this area where it's not available. Right. Like it's not available. So like what we do today is going to impact this entire community. And then I just said, you know, just think of, don't, you don't have to answer now. What's the big why that the customer is asking? And take that back to your team and then see what you come up with. When they came back the next time, they had taken weeks off of the schedule because they, they reprioritized. It became so, so clear what was needed That's so that awesome. they can move forward. Yeah, and it was awesome. questions like why. Why are we doing yeah. it? Why are we building this? I, I work with a lot of pharmaceutical companies, some, you know, again, Fortune 200 and larger. And... Working with them is actually some of the most inspiring work that I do because for them, and, it, and it's really weird because even the people in the IT department feel this way. They still think this way. They know at the end of the day, it's all about better patient outcomes. 
So even though they're making, even though they're like refining an email system between, between doctors, like what's that got to do with patient outcomes? It's got a lot to do with it. If the doctors have better email communication between each other or their notes, better patient outcomes can result. If, if they can find things easier in email, better patient. It's always about better patient outcomes. And when we, when we hold that up as the big why behind everything we do, it helps really to focus everybody towards what that true mission and vision is for why we are all here trying to do this in another way that helps it get done faster. Like right now, for example, I'm working with two different pharmaceutical companies trying to, we're going to try to do scrum in, well, not try to, we're already doing it in, yeah. in drug development. People say, people will say to me, why, why are you doing scrum and drug development? That's, that's got nothing to do with software and, and who cares about it. And I'm like, you guys don't understand. If, if we get a drug out in eight years instead of 10 years, and most people do not know, but to try to get a drug approved and, and take a look at what's going on in the world of coronavirus, right? They've, they've, they've pulled all the, they pulled all the legal nonsense aside. Right, you can just right. fast track anything, right? But for a regular drug in, in 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 BCE before Corona ever, yeah, it's 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 an eight to ten year timeline for approval for a drug in the United States. And similar in Europe, it's not that much better, right? What if we could get that drug out in seven years? How many more lives can we save? How many more people's whole worlds are not destroyed by these debilitating diseases that these companies are trying to solve? You have to think there always has to be a big picture. You know, what do they say? Think globally, act locally. Right. And if you really think about that at its heart, that is a very agile message. Think globally. What is the big why, why we're doing this? But act locally. Let's get something done. Let's get it out the door. Let's put an increment out. Let's get some feedback. Let's iterate. Boom, 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 boom. That is really... You know, if I, if I could impress on people as, as another mantra, they should take back to their companies, which, cause that, that, that phrase has been around for decades now. Yes. Right. Think globally, act locally. It's the same way we can get rid of pollution by you and I not throwing stuff into streams and rivers. If everybody followed that, there'd be no pollution. The same way we can do that is the same way we can make better products in our companies. Understand what is the global vision? Understand what is the global why, but then come to our team and say, how do we enact this? How do we help push towards this goal as a group together, right? Arms locked, pushing in one direction. That's how Scrum got invented. That's why the word is chosen. It's from that paper by Takuji Nonaka that they said the teams that they watched acted like a rugby team. And if you look at the rugby team when it's trying to win the Scrum, they've all got to lock arms. They have their arms around their backs and they line their spines up. So they're all, all of their force that they're pushing out of their legs is lining up in one direction to win and get that ball. We have to do that as teams. And beyond that, when you come to scaling, we have to do that in the, in the echelons of management, whatever they may be, whether it's in scrum management and we're product owners and, and scrum masters and scrum and scrums masters or chief product owners or whether it's traditional. The only way we achieve this is if we're aligned with as management also. That's how the teams, they, they get in line behind us. We get in line behind the big global why, and we all push together to the end. That's right. how we Yeah, and that paper, for those of you who want to read it, it's the new, new product development system. New, new product development game. The new, new product development game. Yeah. The new, new product development game. By Professor Taguchi Nonaka, written in 1986, published in the Harvard Business Review. My apologies, it is only available in English. We, there has not been. Yeah. They didn't uh, translate it back then. Jeff calls them the grandfathers of Scrum, right? They are. 
They are. Right. I've, had the, I've had the privilege of working with both of them. Takeuchi actually invited me in to teach a class on Scrum for one of his clients from Japan, a large Japanese organization uh, at Harvard Business School. So I had a chance to teach there for him. Nice. And I have had- Got my have, Harvard, Harvard shirt on today for you, Avi. Oh, that's good. I love this it. This is an homage it. to you. You went there Thank for you. The, the guest lecture. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've taught there twice and uh, I work and I've met Nonaka uh, a couple times now. I think I think three times now. And I spoke alongside him at a conference as well as we had one of the best, mo most enlightening lunches in the history of Agile was, <laughs> was me and JJ and Professor Nonaka sitting down having lunch with our good, our good compatriots over in Japan. Uh, Kenji and Keske and uh, Chloe. It was just, it was fabulous. You know, it was fabulous. Uh, he's such a wise, he's such a wise guy. He really, and I, not a wise guy. But not a wise guy like a wise guy you know in your neighborhood. <laughs> not but, a wise uh, guy, but yeah. he's a wise a person wise. full of wisdom. He, that, that he is, yeah, yeah. He introduced me to a lot of really interesting Japanese business management concepts that we don't even hear about here because we don't translate a lot of that business channels and stuff. Yeah, drop, drop one of those on us. Just something e an easy uh, one that you can remember. In, in Amori-san, the guy who uh, eventually, he um, was the president or founder of Kyocera. And he also founded KDDI, which is uh, the second largest telecom in Japan and one of my clients. And he came up with, he, so his theory is called, he calls it amoeba style management. That the team is like an amoeba with pods. Like that. It's really interesting stuff. If you want to Google it, Google amoeba style management, you'll see some, some stuff there. But what, what some of the practices that Inamori um, developed were just, they're groundbreaking, okay? So Japan is a culture that is um, incredibly rooted in ancient traditions. And one of them is the family meal. Now, I'm not saying that Americans don't have family meals, Sunday dinners, we, we all got all that stuff, but that stuff's inherited from Europe, not from Japan. It's a very different way in Japan. So the family meal in Japan, right? So one style of meal that they have is called nabe. It's like a giant uh, uh, pot of soup and noodles, right? So think ramen, but okay. much different, thicker noodle and much and like a giant bowl, like huh. enough for everybody, okay? And it's really fun when you go out to do this in Japan. I mean, they, they are all into communal eating. It's really, it's a great time. And they have restaurants totally devoted. It's a lot of fun. So in, in, when you make the nabe, the oldest person in the group because, you know, senior, being seniors like elevated there, they treat their elderly the right way. The oldest person in the group is the nabe master who actually monitors the pot, right? And so they're helping making sure everything's cooked right because the cook's on the table, right? It's not brought to you cooked. It cook's on the table. You put the raw meats and vegetables in, it cooks there, and they help dish it out, and everybody eats together essentially out of the same big giant pot. You have your own little bowl, but all the same yeah. giant pot. Anyway, it's a very traditional Japanese dish, and it's very fun to eat. Inamori-san used to hold events after 5 p.m. So before people went home for work to their actual families, he had them all eat together. And when I say all, I mean the whole company. Wow. Everybody went to the cafeteria and there were nabe on all these different tables and everybody sat down for a company meal together to close out the day before you went home. Now, what was so innovative about this? He literally said, you have to come, you have to sit down, and the first thing you have to do is complain about management. Ooh, I'm liking him. <laughs> so literally it became a gripe session. But what's now, we all have had gripe sessions, you know, around yeah. the water cooler that 
So what's the difference? You're sitting down and it was that, when we talk about that phrase, psychological safety, this is what he was creating. He was saying, it is okay to sit down. And by the way, management is in the room, maybe yeah. even at your table. Yeah. It is okay to complain about them and what they are doing wrong, right there Yeah. with one goal. Once you clear the air, you have to decide how are we going to get rid of this problem tomorrow? So think about that. He's combining dinner, gripe session, and retrospective all in one spot. Yeah. And he's doing it and wrapped up in psychological safety where he himself, this is the big CEO. This would be the equivalent of Bill Gates eating with the programmers. Wow. Steve Jobs eating with the eating with, that's the equivalent of this guy. Mm -hmm. He would sit there too. You have complaints about upper, upper management, come sit at my table, eat with me, tell me what the, tell me what the issue is. This is, this, is, this is innovation in how management can be different. And I consider Namori a tremendous a, a visionary and a business leader who, I, who hopefully I can emulate. In my, and I, I'm hoping I can still get back to Japan after this stuff ends and get a chance to meet him because he's still around. I think the other piece of wisdom I would tell you from Nonaka before we close, because I know we're coming to the end of this, but it's a really good one is I once, one of the first times I sat down with him, at the time there was somebody in my company who was very into the Toyota production system and lean, right? And he, would, and he said, he would say that the Toyota production system and, and, and lean and scrum are all the same. Like that scrum and PDCA, plan, do, check, act, right. are the same. And I didn't see it that way. So now here I am in Japan sitting with Nonaka-san and I said, you know what? I'm gonna ask him this question. <laughs> And so I said to him, I said, hey, I got, a I, got, I got a compatriot who says this. And Nonaka says to me, he goes, Avisan, he goes, Avisan, he goes, what do you think? And I said, they're not the same, they're very different. And he goes, tell me, give me an example. Mm. And I came up with, uh, sitting on the spot, I came up with this, Felipe. I said, actually, I said, I think it's actually pretty simple. If I had a factory that made candles, right? So I'm starting with a candle that doesn't light. And okay. all I apply, all I apply is PDCA. I will eventually get to a candle that can light and maybe burn brighter and last longer than whatever I had before. And he said to me, he goes, okay, how is Scrum different? And I said, you can never go from a candle to a light bulb with just PDCA because it's not an innovation framework. It's an efficiency and a refinement framework. If you start with a candle, you will make a better candle, but you will never come up with something that totally blows the candle out of the water and says, forget candles. This is the way we should be going. That is what you need Scrum for because Scrum is engineering practice agnostic. So you can put design thinking in it. You can put lean production in it. You can put XP in it. You can put all these different ways of doing things and figuring out the solutions or your problems inside of that scrum. But scrum is designed to be disruptive and to be innovative. It's a, the output of PDCA. The output of lean is efficiency. The output of scrum and of agile is creativity. That's the difference. And what did he say to you? He said, that's a great question. He said, he said, obviously you're right. <laughs> and that, that was all I needed. I, no, Naga said I'm right. Mic drop. Yeah. Get, get me to the airport. I'm out of here. Put it on your resume. Nanaka-san said I'm right. 
I only, I only needed it once. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you need one time. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's awesome. It's a great way to close, man. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and sharing some of your insights with people. Where can people get a hold of you, Avi? Uh, they can get a hold of me at Scrum Inc. Avi is spelled A-V-I at scruminc.com. Or please find me on LinkedIn. Hit me up with uh, the connection. Let's, let's exchange uh, you know, contacts, information. Do you have questions, anything you want to say? You want to yell at me and tell me I'm, I'm wrong? But go ahead, you know, knock yourselves out. He'll dance with you. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's have dialogue. That's the way, that's the only way to move forward that unfortunately our country is missing right now. It's all about dialogue. It's yeah. Absolutely. We need dialogue. We need dialogue. Awesome. Thanks Felipe. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Have a good rest of your day. Take care. Ciao. Very special. Thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.